0: Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Rado, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, Tasha Rado looks at the Minnesota Fishing Opener from every angle. Kevin Fallness talks with new coach of the Minnesota Wild, Bruce Boudreaux. And I chat with legendary founder of the Beach Boys, Brian Wilson, as he's about to embark on a world tour that brings him to Minnesota in the fall. But first, there's barely one week remaining in the 2016 legislative session and MNN's Bill Werner joins us for an update as the clock ticks down for state lawmakers. Bill, there are a lot of big issues still on the table, right? That is for certain, Scott, and it seems like all
1: of the big items are always left until the end of the legislative session. Transportation funding, a bonding bill, and what to do with the state's $900 million surplus are all in the mix as lawmakers and Governor Mark Dayton try to come up with a deal. A lobbying visit this week by a number of mayors and other city officials from greater Minnesota put those issues into sharp
2: focus. The whole state needs a transportation bill. Let's do it. I mean, let's get back to 1973. Let's do something.
1: LeSueur Mayor Bob Broder as he held up a picture of the iconic Time magazine cover featuring then-Governor Wendell Anderson with the headline, The Good Life in Minnesota. Debate continues over Democrats' proposal for a gas tax increase. Polls of the public have been taken, interpreted, and spun, but is there support for a gas tax increase among local officials in greater Minnesota? Granite Falls Mayor Dave Smigluski on that.
2: Myself and the mayor of Wilmer and a bunch of county commissioners met with uh, Governor Dayton and Lieutenant Governor Tina Smith and uh, DOT Commissioner Charlie Zelly, along with the legislator from our area, and everybody at the table from Greater Minnesota was in favor of the gas tax increase. Uh, Mayor Hilgert and myself met uh, along with several other folks in Chaska as part of the Southwest Corridor Transportation Coalition. It's a wordy name, but basically it's a Highway 212 advocacy group. Everybody in the room is in favor of a gas tax increase. Now we're talking a lot of different political stripes here in Carver County and in Renville County and in Yellow Medicine County. And um, you know, there was a member there from, from Marshall, from Lyon County, uses Highway 212. They're all in favor of it.
1: The mayors and other city officials are also concerned that the legislature break its stalemate and pass a bonding bill for state public works projects. Wyndham City Administrator Steve Nasby gave one example.
3: We do have a fire hall that was, uh, it's a fire and ambulance garage that uh, is in the bonding bill on the Senate side. Um, and the reason we asked for some bonding assistance, are really two or three reasons, uh, the main points are we serve a very large area. Um, we also have one of the lower per capita incomes in the state of Minnesota. And so when we're combining kind of the limited ability of our citizens to pay in a much larger service area, that was something that we thought would be a, a reasonable bonding request.
1: And the mayors want lawmakers to increase state aid to cities, what's called local government
2: aid. Granite Falls Mayor's Migluski on that. Our city has not increased its general fund levy at all. We've been flat for five years. The fact that we held the line for five years is amazing, I think. That's not going to happen this year. I was just talking with our city manager yesterday about this, and I said, you know, what do you think? And he goes, if we don't get an LGA increase, there's no way we can hold this we're going to have to increase our property taxes. But we are evidence that that some cities, not all, but some cities held the line, and we even know some cities that decreased their levy because of increased LGA. Uh, If you want to hold property taxes down, increase LGA, please. and Let's try to get back to where we had been at one point.
1: Morris City Manager Blaine Hill says that city's property tax levy has not grown much since 2002 because they got a big boost in LGA. So when it comes to LGA, what we do with it, is we use it to keep taxes down. And now we're at a
4: point where if we don't get any more, then we're going to have to start raising taxes or we're
1: going to have to start cutting services. So how will these requests for increased local government aid play when the final deal presumably is cut at the Capitol? We talked with a key player, Republican Representative Greg Davids from Preston, who chairs the House Taxes Committee.
5: Even as a former mayor, uh, we have found that uh, putting more money into LGA does not necessarily mean in, uh, reductions in property taxes, and uh, there's been some studies of that, and what happens is uh, we'll increase LGA, that money will go to other projects, and they try to keep the levy at about the same rate, uh, but it generally doesn't get reduced. But uh, that's fine. They're, they're staying their position. That's what it's all about. And uh, We've got to get into conference committee as soon as we can and see what we can work out. I know the Senate's position is, I think, 45 million. Uh, we're at uh, not cutting uh, any cities other than there's some reductions in cities of first class. We brought them down to a ratio closer to what Alt state is. This LGA
1: issue, how, how does this rank in terms of importance? you know, negotiable versus non-negotiable. I'm not asking you to negotiate the, the, the bill here, but, I mean, can you give us a sense of how, how firm a thing this is for the House?
5: Well, you know, our position is going to be greatly changed. Uh, I, the Don't Stop Believing tax bill is about $2 billion of tax relief to middle-class and low uh, lower-income folks in Minnesota, a tremendous bill, uh, but we will be scaling that uh, way back. Uh, but we still want to see what we can do for property tax relief we want to see what we can do for not taxing Social Security like very few states do that. What can we do for our veterans? What can we do for our students through 529 plans? Uh, I have a great provision in in the bill that uh, helps reduce college debt. Uh, we got the family child care tax credit. We've worked with the governor's office on that. I support that uh, but we won't be able to do it to the amount in the bill that's sitting in conference committee but uh, I, most of the issues are scalable. We can some of those back, but we do need to get some relief to Minnesotans.
1: And that would take priority over LGA as far as you're concerned?
5: I would say LGA is in the mix. I'm a former mayor. I know how important LGA is to our communities. In fact, uh, back in 2011, when I was first taxed, we had a $6.2 billion shortfall. And as chairman, we did not cut local government aid one dime, and we had a $6.2 billion shortfall. So uh, I'm committing to committed to make sure Uh, that our rural cities are, uh, uh, you know, in, in good shape.
1: And so, Scott, the areas of dispute are clearly drawn. The clock has only about a week left on it, and we will see what the legislature and the governor do.
0: We'll be watching the clock and our lawmakers, Bill. Thank you for that report. More Minnesota Matters after this. As a young teenage boy, I didn't even know what
2: autism was. How do you even spell that? A few years later, I heard that a friend's cousin's son had been diagnosed with autism. I still wasn't sure what that really meant.
3: When I went to college, my roommate's brother had autism. When I moved to the city for work, my best friend called me and told me his son had been diagnosed with autism. We were both in shock. I still remember the day I walked into the house and saw that look on my wife's face. I knew something was wrong. I'll never forget how I felt when she said, Our son has autism. Autism is getting closer to home. Today, 1 in 110 children is diagnosed with autism. That's a 600% increase in the last 20 years. Learn the signs at AutismSpeaks.org. Early diagnosis can make a lifetime of difference. Brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council.
0: Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. The unofficial kickoff to the summer tourism season is here, and MNN's Tasha Radel has more on the state's fishing opener.
6: It's the weekend anglers have been waiting for, the opening of the 2016 fishing season. Joining me to talk all things fish is Mike Carey with the Department of Natural Resources. Mike, not only is it an exciting time of year, but I bet you folks are busy.
7: Boy, it is kind of crazy out there. When you're talking about a half a million people Uh, You know, adults, kids, grandpas, grandmas, uh, moms, dads, uh, uh, half a million people are going to be on our lakes uh, on the opener, you know, come rain or come shine, because us Minnesotans, uh, we don't care if it's raining or snowing or or anything else out there that Mother Nature throws at us. But, uh, you know, it's such a tradition. It's such a great place to be with friends and families, and a half a million of them do that.
6: And about how many uh, licenses do you folks sell each year?
7: Well, we we look at like a 1.4 million of uh, total anglers, and of that, uh, uh, 1.1 million are residents, another 300,000 are non-residents. And then if you throw in the kids who don't need a license, if you're under 16, then we're probably sitting right around 2 million, and it really doesn't vary much. Uh, It may early in the year because of weather conditions and stuff like that, but for the most part, we're right around 2 million anglers in the state every year.
6: And when you think of all those people uh, hitting the lakes, uh, buying licenses, going to motels, resorts, and I could go on and on and on with the ripple effect, this has to be a pretty big economic uh, uh, boost uh, for Minnesota.
7: Oh, absolutely. When We're talking uh, $878 million just in uh, state sales tax. uh, That's an incredible amount. And then when you think about all the jobs that are out there, uh, boat manufacturers, guides, tackle shops, tackle uh, manufacturers, resorts, retailers out there uh, and all the people the, that that work in these these areas. I mean we're talking about a huge uh, economic impact here in in the state of Minnesota.
6: My family's had a cabin on Lake Minnewaska since oh, I think it's been about since the mid 70s or so. so I have many fond memories of fishing with my dad and then of course watching my mom fry them up for dinner. Mike, do you have any memories that jump out at you, especially this time of year?
7: Yeah, I've got so many memories. My dad was from Ely, and uh, I was lucky enough uh, that I lived just uh, south of Mille Lacs on the shores there, and, uh, and one of my favorite memories is every year, uh, dad would uh, help us, and uh, pick night crawlers and worms and on the side of the road 169 with all the vehicles going through uh, my hometown of Malacca Here we are a couple of kids and a couple other competitor kids. We're all selling worms on the side of the road and making good enough bucks that we could buy our own fishing rods and reels and bikes and stuff like that So I've got lots of many fine memories and probably some bad knees because of uh, picking all those night crawlers
6: well, I'm jealous because we never were, were able to find nightcrawlers as a kid. We always found the skinny ones, but nothing too substantial. Well, Mike, I'm going to try to put you on the spot here. Can you name the state's top 10 biggest lakes?
7: The upper and lower Red Lake at uh, over 28, uh, 2000, 2,800, 2800. Uh, just over a quarter million acres. There we go. <laughs> Let's do it that way. And with Mille Lacs, uh, being second on 132 acres, Leech Lake, Winnibagosh, Vermillion, Cabotogama, Mud Lake, and Marshall County, Cass Lake, Lake Minnetonka, and Ottertail rounding out the top 10 size lakes of, in Minnesota.
6: And, you know, do you think people, I guess, you know, when you're from Minnesota, we say the land of of 10,000 lakes. So is that truly how many lakes we have in Minnesota?
7: No, we have more. Uh, We actually have 11,842 lakes of 10 acres or more. So it's a uh, a huge number. But of those lakes, 5,400 of them are actually managed for fishing. And of those, uh, there's 1,350 walleye lakes. And of that, uh, let's see. it 250 of them are natural lakes, and 1,100 of them are stocked. So uh, we here at the DNR are very busy at this time of year, you know, making sure that everybody's got a really quality fishing experience that uh, once they hit, once they do hit the lakes.
6: You know, when we talk about a quality ex- experience, uh, fishing is also very important to rural Minnesota. I'm assuming as well, uh, especially when it comes to the economy.
7: Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, there's. Uh, uh, 70 million travelers that, that go through the, the state, and many of them are, are spending time in small-town Minnesota. You know, that's the unique thing about uh, our state, and we're very fortunate to, to have the, the natural resources that we do, whether you're biking or hiking or fishing or camping or hunting. Uh, it, we've got it all here, and that's why I love this state, and that's why so many other travelers do love the lake, lakes and, and fields here that, and forests that we have here in Minnesota.
6: Okay, Mike, I have to try to stump you again. Can you name the top 10 most common lake names in Minnesota?
7: It's going to be no surprise, but Mud Lake, Long Lake, Rice Lake, Bass, Round, Horseshoe, Twin, Island Lake, Johnson, and Spring Lake. Those are the 10 most common, and it's just unbelievable that, uh, uh, you know, we talk about 11,000 lakes, but there's a lot of those lakes that uh, are are repeats. But there's also another little piece of trivia here. There's four counties with no natural lakes in them, and that would be Maurer, Olmstead, Pipestone, and Rock Lake. And
6: who said you didn't learn something new every day? Well, Mike, I'm about out of time. Any final thoughts here?
7: Well, I just like to make sure that everybody's really safe. Make sure you wear your life jacket. That water's cold out there, and uh, you can get hypothermia very quickly. Uh, make sure you get your license, make sure your boat is ready to go, and make sure you, you learn how to back up that trailer <laughs> into the into the lake. That's always a challenge. Mike, that's what
6: dads are for.
7: Oh, uh, That's exactly right, but you can help them a little bit. <laughs> you can help them a little bit too, but make sure you get your license and register that boat, but please be safe out there and take somebody with you who may not normally get that opportunity because if you don't, who will?
6: Thanks again to my guest, Mike Curry with the
0: DNR. Back to you, Scott. Thank you, Tasha. More Minnesota Matters after this.
4: You wanted to see me?
1: Yes, please. Have a seat. So here's the thing. When this
4: company brought you on, we took a chance on you. You didn't have that four-year college degree we typically look for. Right. But we gave you a shot anyway. And since then, you've worked incredibly hard and given it your all. Thanks. You've been an important asset to the team, but I don't think you can be an intern here anymore. We want to hire you. You're,
8: you're serious?
1: Absolutely. Find your next great employee. Introduce yourself to the grads of life. Who are they? Talent worth knowing about. Young adults of unique determination and experience. An ideal fit for your company in an entry-level position, internship, or even mentorship. They might not have every qualification you typically look for, but they're exactly who your company needs.
8: I won't let you down.
1: I know. Don't miss out on a resource many innovative companies have already discovered. Go to gradsoflife.org to learn how to find, cultivate, and train this great pool of untapped talent. Brought to you by the Ad Council and gradsoflife.org. Unexpected reactions to smart financial decisions brought to you by FeedThePig.org.
6: Well, I finally did it. I opened a 401k.
1: So you're giving up? Just like that.
6: Giving up on what?
1: I'm getting an inheritance from a distant relative.
3: Debt, you watch your
1: mouth. Retirement shouldn't be a goal for us. It should be a way of life. When it comes to financial stability, don't get left behind. Get tools and tips for saving at feedthepig.org. This message brought to you by the American Institute of CPAs and the Ad Council.
0: Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. The Minnesota Wild have made an off-season splash with the hire of head coach Bruce Boudreau. Boudreau, at one time, played 30 games with the old Minnesota Fighting Saints of the WHA in 1975, but has made a much bigger name for himself as a head coach. He's won division titles in eight of the nine seasons he's been a head coach. He was the fastest coach to reach 400 victories in NHL history, and he holds the highest winning percentage among all active NHL head coaches. MNN sports correspondent Kevin Falness, who's also a Wild Radio Network host, sat down this week with the new Wild Bench Boss. Here we
4: go, Wild fans, with the new head coach of the Minnesota Wild, Bruce Boudreaux. Uh, first of all, welcome. I guess we're saying welcome back to the state of hockey, Coach.
3: Yeah, it's fun to be back. And uh, I hope my tenure is a lot longer this time than it was the last time. But uh, it's great to be here. I know you said the
4: last week has been a bit of a whirlwind. What was today like as you meet some of the staffs, maybe a handful of the players and whatnot?
3: Yeah, like I, uh, I was telling... Telling Chuck, I said, "I'm going to have to meet these guys a whole bunch more because I'm terrible with names in the first place, and you're you're saying hi to so many people for the first time. But it's it, to me, it's an exciting thing meeting new people, meeting. Uh, uh, so it's uh, I, I'm really excited about it.
4: What does this opportunity represent for you, uh, coaching the Minnesota Wild and coming to what we call the state of hockey?
3: Yeah, well, I mean, uh, I'm here. I just want to win, you know, and that's. Uh, uh, I think when when you're winning, everybody is enjoying life. When you're losing, you're not no matter what, no matter how much money you make or whatever, it's not fun. So I think that the fans here are really um knowledgeable about the game, and I'm looking forward to hopefully uh, putting a product on the ice that they're proud of. The good thing is,
4: by no stretch of the imagination, are you walking into a rebuild pro- project? W- what do you know about the pieces that are in that locker room that you have to work with, regardless of what Chuck does in the next couple
3: months? Well, I mean, they've got 16 players, I think, that have played, uh, at least 16, that have, that have been on this team, whether it's last year or last year and the year before, and they, they know how to win, and they're playing, they they keep having um, minor success at uh, in this division. And you know, and I don't know if the, if I'm going to be any difference or or not, but I'm hoping that uh, that we can we can take it a step further. And but it's not a it's not a question of an overhaul or these guys can't play. They've proved that they when they're on top of their game, they can beat anybody.
4: So as you come in here as a member of the opposition, now you're the head coach. What excites you about being the guy behind the bench and having this home home crowd behind you?
3: Yeah, that's exciting. Knowing it's sold out every night, knowing that ninety-five percent um, uh, of the team, uh, the crowd is is on your side, and when they get behind them, I remember the two times we played here this year, uh, the one first period. I mean, they outshot us 18-3, to 3, and we didn't even touch the puck. And uh, the times I was in Anaheim, where you play the Western teams the most, it's, uh, the one thing you could tell about playing in uh, the wild was that you better bring your skating legs and you better bring your, your, your compete game or you weren't going to beat them.
4: What's next? Uh, we have the big pomp and circumstance where you're unveiled as the new head coach, but now I'm sure the hard work begins. So what's next between now and 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 your next project?
3: Well, I think you know, uh, other than the personal stuff of movings and and getting acclimated and everything, is the the first the next step is as um, I've got a systems tape. That I'm going to send out to the incumbents, and and uh, it might not be for another month. But I mean, it's they're going to get it, and I want them to understand it. And I'm going to reach out and talk to every player that I can, and hopefully it it would be more of a face to face talk than it would be over the phone. But sometime, I'm not going to fly to Sweden or Finland or, or what have you, so uh, those conversations might have to take place over the phone. Um, but uh, then, so when we do hit. And it's a different year with the World Cup and everything like that. But when we hit the ground running, uh, I hope the players are equally as excited as I am. And they want to win as much as I do. And if if that's the case, that's a winning combination.
4: Congratulations on this new move in your life and welcome back to Minnesota.
0: Thanks. It's great. I'm looking forward to it. That's MN's Kevin Falness with New Wild coach Bruce Boudreau on Minnesota Matters. Up next, I have an exclusive interview with the Beach Boys Brian Wilson. That's when Minnesota Matters returns
8: Don't you wish that getting your child to eat right, move more, and spend less time in front of a screen could be as easy as pushing a button? It might not be that simple, but you do have more power than you know. And you can maximize that power with proven strategies, tips, and tools from the National Institutes of Health's We Can, or Ways to Enhance Children's Activity and Nutrition Program. We Can offers all kinds of resources, including fun recipes and activities the family can do together to show you the way to live a healthier lifestyle. We're not saying it's easy. We are saying that it can be done. Take the first step today. Call 1-866-359-3226 for a free We Can Parents Handbook. And be sure to visit the We Can website at wecan.nhlbi.nih.gov for free information too. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services.
0: Welcome back to Minnesota Matters, I'm Scott Peterson. As a founding member of the Beach Boys, Brian Wilson has composed some of the most beloved popular American music of the last half century. This year, Brian and his band embark on a world tour to celebrate the 50th anniversary of the landmark album Pet Sounds and they'll be here in Minneapolis at the Orpheum for a sold-out show on October 2nd. I recently spoke with Brian about the tour, the music, and how he came to make his Pet Sounds.
9: Hi Scott, it's Brian Wilson.
0: Brian, how does it feel to be sharing Pet Sounds live with your fans around the world 50 years after it was released?
9: It's a great a great honor to be able to present the album in its entirety, uh, duplicated exactly how it sounded on the record. My band members know exactly how to make it sound just like the re- re- the actual original album. People can't believe it. They said, "Brian, we can't tell the difference between the album and your in your performance." I couldn't believe it. Considering how
0: talented your band is at, at recreating the album, are you making new discoveries about the music as you play it live all these years later?
9: Well, not really. I, I, I have, I, it takes me back to when I did the album, when, when I play God Only Knows. It takes me back to when Carl sang God Only Knows. And when I do Wouldn't It Be... Actually, my band member, Matt Jardine, Elson, does Wouldn't It Be Nice. He sings that.
0: What's the best part of playing live for you these days?
9: The best part is when the music first begins, then I go, ah, relax for a second. I feel all keyed up for about an hour, and then I relax and do the concert. Do you have stage fright? Oh, yeah, very much so.
0: You mentioned Al Jardine just a moment ago. Of course, you're playing with Al and Blondie Chaplin. They're joining you in the amazing band for the shows. What does it mean to you to have them playing with you on stage?
9: Well, they're great singers. Al Jardine is probably one of the greatest singers I've ever heard. And uh, Blondie Chaplin is absolutely
0: great. I wanted to just go back a little bit before Pet Sounds and ask, how and when did you first realize that you had a gift for expressing yourself through music?
9: I first learned that when I learned how to sing like the four freshmen.
0: And what was your reaction to the sound uh, the first time that you and your brothers and cousin Mike and friend Al Jardine blended your voices together?
9: Well, it was a thrill because I knew we were a family, first of all. We were a family, so our voices blended together like a family. So, you know, and Mike is our cousin, so he, he was fantastic for bass singing and for lead singing and our commercial singer. He was our very commercial singer.
0: When you're playing these songs now, 50 years later, tell me a little bit about the emotion that you may feel.
9: Well, I love to hear the band sing their harmonies. I get a good feeling off the, off the harmonies, and I get a good feeling off singing with them.
0: What song of yours are you proudest of, and why?
9: Well, I'm proudest of God Only Knows, because it's a great melody and a great lyric, and Carl sang it beautifully, and I'm, I'm very proud of it. Considering
0: how well-known you are as a vocal group with the Beach Boys, uh, was there pressure in the studio when you were all singing together to not blow it?
9: No, no. Actually, we I made sure that the guys sang right on key on the microphones.
0: And, and they didn't feel any extra pressure to, to make sure that they sang on key?
9: No, they didn't feel pressured at all. I made sure they sang good. I said, come on, guys, let's get this song right now. Let's get this right, you know.
0: With the recent film *Love and Mercy*, and you have a memoir coming out later this year, you've done a lot of looking back. What surprises you most about your life?
9: Well, I'm most mostly surprised about how the group form, got formulated uh, when we did surfing and surfing safari. I, I, that's my biggest moments in my life when we first started to become famous.
0: Do you remember the first time you heard a Beach Boys song on the radio, and what was your
7: reaction? Yeah, I do.
9: Late 1961, November of 1961, on a station called KBLA, to the right side of the dial, and they played surfing, and they had a little contest, they said, call in and vote for your favorite song this week, and surfing won, surfing got the best, so it was called a pick to click, and they played surfing once every hour. I'd like to
0: think you wrote some of those early songs while you were cruising the beach in a convertible. Did it really happen that way, or is that just wishful thinking on my part?
9: No, I was driving around my neighborhood near my house, and a song on the radio came out called Tell It to the Birds and uh, by Dory Alpert. And I learned the, the, the melody goes... Da-da-da-da-da, da-da-da-da-da, da 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 and so I thought, ba 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 I wrote Server Girl, some of it in my car, and then the rest of it at my house, on the piano.
0: So what does make you happy these days?
9: It makes me happy to hear some of the Beach Boys on the radio and uh, makes me happy to exercise and stuff like that. You were famously
0: competitive with the Beatles, especially around the time of Pet Sounds. You're just about the only person I can think of that would actually be able to stand a chance competing with the Beatles. Why did you feel that sense of competition with them?
9: Well, when I heard Rubber Soul, I was shocked. I couldn't believe how great that album was it was a very good album and I tried to I was personally challenged to try to make a better album and do you think that you did that uh, in some ways yeah
0: I just wanted to say before we wrap things up here I saw you a few years back perform God Only Knows with your band here in Minnesota, and you sang it so sweetly and with such vulnerability. You you received a a long ovation from the crowd, and that's a musical moment that I'll never forget. So for that and for so much more, I just, on behalf of all the folks who aren't lucky enough to be able to speak with you, I just wanted to thank you for all the beautiful music that you've given us for the last half century. Thank you.
9: Thanks, Scott. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
0: That's going to do it for this week. Tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station.